This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go, and that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom in Mind. I'm perinatal psychologist and host, Dr. Kat. There's more to the story than just postpartum depression. And this podcast aims to share it all. From personal stories and lived experience to experts who break down the ups and downs of life from getting pregnant, pregnancy, perinatal loss, and postpartum adjustment to parenthood. While this is not psychotherapy or medical advice, it is all of the stuff you ever wanted to know about mental health and new parenthood. Welcome back to the Mom and Mind podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. On our episode today, we are joined by Ruthie Eisenberg. She is an LMFT, LPCC, PAMHC, and CYT. She is a dedicated California licensed psychotherapist with over a decade of experience. And specializing in maternal and perinatal mental health, she provides therapy, postpartum CBT and DBT skills coaching, and support groups through her private practice, Mental Fitness Therapy. And what she's sharing with us today is a bit about her experience transitioning into motherhood and how she ended up working in perinatal mental health. But also she's talking about some signs and symptoms or what she calls orange flags to watch out in new moms that could be easily missed. She also talks about how to incorporate yoga into therapy and how she works with people in yoga for therapy purposes and how she is wanting to bring yoga to moms everywhere to use on and off the mat to help manage daily stress and optimize parenting on a daily basis. Despite being a therapist, Ruthie was caught off guard by the challenges of motherhood and the juggle of parenting. And that inspired her to work towards her certification from Postpartum Support International, as well as gain experience working at El Camino Moms as well as working at El Camino Hospital's Moms Program, creating groups and providing care for struggling perinatal moms and their families. In her practice and in her work, she draws from a variety of therapy modalities, including experiential, IFS, brain spotting, EFT tapping, expressive arts, mindfulness, yoga, CBT, and DBT. Ruthie's experience living in Russia, Israel, and the USA has instilled in her a deep respect for cultural uniqueness, and she incorporates cultural strengths, creativity, and spirituality into her therapy work. So with that, let's meet Ruthie. Welcome, Ruthie. Thank you for being with us. Thank you so much for having me on, Kat. I am excited because I know a little bit about what you're going to share, not only some of your own story, but really useful and practical tools for people who are listening, which I just think is so very important. So before we get to that, please do start wherever you'd like with your story. Okay. So you know how some moms, some people just can't wait to be a mom and have kids. Mm -hmm. So that was not me. (laughs) (laughs) I so appreciate you saying that. (laughs) Yeah. For me, I kind of actually was scared of having kids and I kind of dreaded dreaded the idea of motherhood. Mm-hmm. To me, I would see all these new parents and moms uh, in my community and they would just be so stressed out and or- be organizing their life around the kids' nap times. And for me, it just motherhood kind of had this idea in my head that motherhood would be a lo- complete loss of freedom. I would be signing my life away and 
just be miserable the whole time. Mm -hmm. At the same time, there was another part of me that really did want kids and felt like I would be missing something in life if I didn't become a mom. Plus, there was also tremendous pressure from my family and community Mm -hmm. to be a parent. So when I was expecting my daughter, I was kind of grappling with these two sides, like the mm-hmm. the dread and the fear of motherhood, you know, but also the a sense of obligation and curiosity about motherhood. And all of these mixed feelings were so much that I just kind of avoided them and avoided we took all the parenting books that people gave us and we just kind of shoved them in the back of the closet and mm-hmm. um, and didn't look at them. And then when we arrived from the hospital with the baby and our daughter was crying, we couldn't calm her down and we just kind of started panicking. And my husband and I were like, oh my God, where's those books in the back of the closet? Let's dig them out and start flipping frantically to find the answers of what we should do. So we were completely, I was completely unprepared for motherhood. Mm. But after those initial few weeks with my daughter, it was actually, I was pleasantly surprised because motherhood wasn't as terrible as the picture I painted in my head beforehand. And I attribute that to having really good family support at the time. Mm -hmm. So that with my daughter, things went pretty much okay. However, a few years later with my son, it was a different story. I experienced some birth trauma. He arrived suddenly and five weeks early and he was in the NICU. And I also, I was working in a pretty stressful job at the time. So I I went to the hospital with my computer thinking that I would be going to the office in a few hours after some routine monitoring. Uh And when I arrived to the hospital, I was told that, oh, actually, you can't leave right now. You have to have the baby. And so, yeah, shocking. Once again, (laughs) completely unprepared, but in a different way. And things I felt overwhelmed in several ways. But mostly, I felt a lot of mom guilt about, you know, maybe my mind started automatically going to like, well, maybe I did something wrong that, you know, that created these medical complications that made the baby arrive early. And I was just kind of like ruminating on what could be the reasons. Maybe it was because I was too stressed at my job. Maybe it was, you know, maybe I wasn't like, you know, I don't know, maybe I wasn't like eating an folic acid, whatever. Mm-hmm. So I just like was inventing these reasons and felt a lot of guilt and also felt a lot of guilt about leaving my job so abruptly to go on maternity leave. So I was feeling I was pretty stressed and I was anxious a lot of the time. I was irritable a lot of the time. Uh, every time I would look at my son, who was like such a cute precious baby, it would just be a reminder of all the ways that I failed. And it was really sad, but I wasn't really like sharing these feelings or talking about them. And, and then I made one of the worst decisions in my life, which was to go back to work at six weeks postpartum, like the Mm. shortest amount of time, Mm. which was a totally guilt driven decision, because they felt so bad about like leaving things with loose ends, not wrapped up. And that just kind of created this perfect, you know, internal storm of Mm. feeling super stressed, guilty, lots of shame going on, lots of irritability when I would come home. It was a real struggle. And that year also, we had a lot of external situational stressors. My son had to have this emergency surgery. We had to move shortly afterward, like, my grandpa died. Oh, I, no. <laughs> I lost Just like job. piling was, on. Yeah, things just kind of like piled up that year. And this whole time, I was also being, I was also working as a therapist. And mm-hmm. I was kind of like, I was working with others, but I was keeping it together, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And really, like, almost like shutting, almost like turning a blind eye to all these symptoms that I was having. And just being too busy moving too quickly to really stop and assess what was going on with me. And that actually, like, I was okay, it was functioning from the outside, everything looked fine. But I really wasn't feeling okay. And so what really helped me to kind of uh, turn a corner was losing my stressful job. And it allowed me to spend some quality time with my son and to really build that attachment and to slow down. Right. 
and afterwards i just by sheer luck and happenstance i felt so lucky i ended up in this perfect job for me at the mom's program at el camino hospital nice. which is a <laughs> just a an program. amazing program have you heard of it yep so they do amazing amazing work there and it just uh, helps so many lives be better and that was really like the perfect environment for me also because it helped me to go down this i felt like i found my home base oh, and nice. with the perinatal work and it helped me to kind of like in parallel process learn about what was going on with me and what are all the things that i missed with myself and also learn like the art of pairing of doing therapy for perinatal population mm-hmm. so it really felt like you know like the perfect environment for me to develop this specialty at what point like how old was your son when you got to that program when i got to that program he was almost a year and by that time i was already by the time i started there i was already like turned the corner because i had this break from my stressful job and i had yeah. this time to slow down and really focus on self care so i was already feeling a lot better but the program really helped to kind of deepen some of the healing and i think a lot of unconscious healing happened just through like the parallel process and mm-hmm. just being in that environment and kind of healed by osmosis oh for sure <laughs> was that like your first deeper introduction into perinatal mental health not into therapy but into perinatal mental health yes mm-hmm. right so you're learning more and more about how parents are affected during this period mm-hmm. of time and also learning realizing that you were affected in some similar yeah. ways. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I was totally affected and and I was one of these people that had so many little subtle signs that were so easy to miss to the untrained or unnuanced eye. They were just so easy to miss and I missed all of them myself too because I just didn't know what to look for. Right. And it's such a disservice I think to parents. Mm-hmm. I was also, you know, I remember when I was in grad school, there was like a whole separate program that was just called mm-hmm. behavioral health and it mm-hmm. and it dealt with medical stuff. Mm-hmm. And afterwards, I realized how strange is it that we separate out things like postpartum depression and anxiety and all that into this medical category as if it's not mm-hmm. mental health. And I think for mm-hmm. folks like who, you know, went to grad school and became therapists and all that, most of us mm-hmm. didn't get any of this unless we were in a behavioral health track. And still then it wasn't mm-hmm. enough. Yeah, exactly. It's a yeah. major, major gap. Like yeah. how, how many people do you know, therapists, do you know, who suffered without knowing what was going on? Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes we get so like pigeonholed into like these little tiny specialties that mm-hmm. we just we miss the bigger picture and mm-hmm. we can, you know, totally miss a forest for one tree. Totally. Yeah. Right. So then with like being in the program at El Camino Hospital and and learning about things, Mm -hmm. I know you said you were already on your path to healing and feeling better, but this like deeper understanding Mm -hmm. was additionally healing for you. Yes, it was actually a combination of working in that program and learning kind of from the professional angle. But then I also had other healing that helped me as well. This was when I went to a somatic therapist who was in this very just brilliant, amazing experiential therapist who helped me a lot. I also started a yoga practice and I was doing yoga before also, but here I started to get like really serious about yoga mm-hmm. at this time. And yoga is actually like, that was my medicine that was like the main medicine for me was really yoga. And we can talk a little bit more about that maybe later. Yeah. And then kind of, and then like the fourth thing that helped to really just open my heart and do some of that deeper work was um, I did some psychedelic assisted therapy. And Mm -hmm. I hope it's okay to talk about that on the podcast. Yes. Okay. So the psychedelic assisted therapy, which I did, you know, in very, you know, controlled, supervised, responsible kind of setting under therapeutic supervision, that was really, really, that just felt like 
several years of therapy, like accelerated into a shorter amount of time. And it did so much of this deeper healing on like a cellular level that Mm -hmm. I could also be consciously aware of and really just opened my heart and made me see the world with different eyes. And that healing is generative. So the effects of that, they continue kind of working on the system, just moving forward into the future for indefinitely. So it's it's a generative kind of healing. It never really ends. It kind of continues long, long after the actual treatment. But that was really, really also powerful healing for me. How many sessions did you have? I had... I would say like in terms of, I had them in a few different settings. So I had less than 10, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like some, like I could maybe like six or seven, something like that. Right. This podcast is supported by Starglow Media's Mysteries About True Histories. From the creators of the hit top ranking kids educational podcast in the world, Who Smarted, the Emmy nominated Nat Geo Disney Plus's Brain Games and Netflix's Brainchild, comes Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, or math, in which kids ages six and up can hear humorous and educational stories that follow two best friends, Max and Molly, while they go on adventures through time, solving puzzles, hidden equations, talking about history, and making learning cool. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras's Ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. When I drive my son to school in the morning, we listen to these episodes that fit perfectly in our commute, with the episodes being about 15 minutes long. And this podcast is right up my son's alley because he loves to solve problems and happens to love math and the types of punny jokes that Max likes to tell. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. Can you talk a little bit about what you've seen, what you've experienced of how the signs and symptoms are missed and what a a new mom, new parent might be experiencing that they wouldn't necessarily recognize as, oh, maybe I should check this out. Yeah, totally. And this happens so often. There's so many like little orange and yellow flags before they become glaring red flags that, that are so easy to miss. Um, And it's not just one thing, but they all kind of like pile up cumulatively and then become, and that's when we know, okay, like there's a big problem here. Mm -hmm. So I like to divide them up into categories of physical signs, cognitive or thought signs, emotional signs or feelings, and behavioral signs. So for the physical signs, new mom or new parent might be experiencing rest, extreme restlessness, or just like constant like physical irritability, Mm -hmm. maybe fatigue, that's just feeling tired all the time, you know, like lack of appetite, having low energy, things like that. Maybe just looking kind of worn down or having like, you know, like posture that's like really kind of like, you know, like looking down a lot, like trouble with eye contact, kind of more shut down posture. Mm -hmm. So those would be some of the physical signs. Then the signs in the thoughts, cognitive signs could be, you know, just like ruminating a lot or, you know, getting into these like negative self-shaming spirals, maybe beating beating herself up for making little mistakes or worrying like so much about like the baby's nap and you know things like that catastrophizing so kind of making bigger 
kind of making these big catastrophes out of small things, like mm-hmm. seeing like, okay, like the baby has like maybe a, a tiny rash or something like that. And this is like, you know, means like it's a huge catastrophe. The, mm-hmm. the baby is like, you know, incurably sick or something like that. And then also problems with cognition. So problems with decision-making, organizing, planning, short-term memory, forgetting stuff, problem-solving difficulties. So all of those will add up to the cognitive signs. Then we want to look at the feelings. So feeling anxious a lot of the times or scared of things. So this might prevent her from going out or from taking the baby outside on her own, maybe feeling overwhelmed, feeling guilty. And this is all going to be reflected in how the mom is interacting with the people around her. Mm -hmm. So she may be saying, I'm so tired, but I can't take a nap because I need to keep watching the baby and I don't want to ask my husband Mm -hmm. because he's busy working on the computer or something. So, okay, so these are little signs, right? Mm -hmm. And then just feeling kind of, you know, maybe she's feeling lonely um, and another extreme feeling a ton of energy and feeling like euphoric and just more energy than she usually has. That would also be a flag. In terms of behavioral, we want to definitely look at sleep changes. So if she is not sleeping, um, if her sleep is very broken and if she's unable to sleep when the baby is sleeping, I would actually say that's a red flag. Yeah, not an orange flag anymore. But orange flag could be like maybe worrying or checking like, you know, a few more times than one on the baby before going to sleep, things like that. You know, changes in her eating, isolating, neglecting her self-care. So things like, you know, like not showering for a couple of days in a row, staying in pajamas for a couple of days in a row, things like that, kind of starting to lose herself in motherhood would be some of the behavioral signs. You know, maybe she's neglecting, you know, neglecting tasks that she normally does that are easy for her to do. And then also doing maybe some risky or uncharacteristically impulsive behaviors. Mm -hmm. So um, one example could be like a mom who was so anxious that the baby had like a little rash that she panicked and rushed the baby to the emergency room and was so panicked in the car that she went through a red light with the baby. So... Mm -hmm. I would say that's actually more than an orange flag. That would be a red flag mm-hmm. already, but just maybe like a little bit more impulsive or anything that's uncharacteristic than usual. Also things like trouble asking for help or trouble accepting help that's offered because of feelings of guilt or shame. Those would be little yellow and orange flags. Mm-hmm. It all piles up. Yeah, for sure. It does pile up. So right, it could be any constellation of those. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I think it's easier to recognize if it's not something you normally do. But if mm-hmm. it is something that you normally do, but it's just like a little bit on steroids, it is harder to tell, yeah, you know, like exactly. with your last example, like people who, who typically don't ask for help, they almost like double down sometimes. I'm definitely not asking for help. I can definitely do this on my own. And oh my gosh, it's so exhausting. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And those are, that is just such a great rundown of things for people to look at and, and try and like reflect on even right now as they're listening or if that's a difference in their pattern that they've noticed since having a baby, even if it's been years. Yeah. uh, For sure. As you know, Yeah. people suffer for years without knowing Oh, yeah. They're suffering. Right. The stuff doesn't just go away on its own many times. Right. Especially Mm -hmm. if there's like, if you've been feeling like reflecting on it, knowing that you haven't been feeling well for a little bit or been suffering for a bit, and then another child comes along and you, there hasn't been enough healing space or time and things start compiling, which certainly happens. It's, yeah, I see it happening all the time time when there's just no life also gets so busy and get so stuck in like doing mode that there's no time to really reflect on like am I actually lost in motherhood and many times the answer is yes but we have to stop to ask that question sometimes yeah we, we don't stop to ask that question no I hardly ever and such a powerful question to ask because uh, for so many reasons, it's powerful to your point. There's often a not time taken to really reflect. Yeah. And also sometimes people think this is just how it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And right. that they're right. just supposed to suck it up. Ugh. Yeah. 
Oh, I hate that. Yeah, so true. I hear this all the time. <laughs> I hear this all the time. Like, aren't moms supposed to be suffering all day long? They're like, <laughs> like no, they're not. No, <laughs> or, yeah, they don't know, have to. They don't have to. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. There's, and healing is absolutely possible. But I hear this a lot. Some of these kind of core, core beliefs or myths that myths about motherhood, it mm. could go either way, really. It could go like, you know, motherhood is just miserable and dreadful and I'm supposed to be suffering all day through it until they turn 18. Or it could go the other way of like, I thought motherhood was going to be fantastic and so much fun with the baby. And why am I not happy? What's happening? What's wrong with me? Yeah. Um, why am I having all these intrusive thoughts? So that could be the other direction it goes on. Sure. Yeah. So you were uh, alluding to before some of the ways that you sought healing, but also some of the ways that you have helped people through their healing. What are some of those ways? So I like to think of healing as consisting of like, there's some pillars of recovery and also not just recovery, but maintaining well-being. So I conceptualize them in six S's. So the six S's of recovery are, first of all, we want to stabilize the sleep. Without enough sleep, it's we're not going to be able to, our brain is not going to work well, and neither will our body. And then the second one is sunshine. So we want to have some exposure to light and go, you know, go outside or at least have windows open and be exposed to sunshine, because we know that makes a difference in how we feel. The third pillar is social support. So this is where a new mom, it can really make all the difference for a new mom, whether she's held and feels like she has support from her family and community, or at least, or therapist, or at least some kind of support. Um, so she's not doing everything all alone. I think this actually makes a very, very big difference. Moms who are isolated versus moms who have that a village behind them it makes a huge, huge difference. And that village can be built. If we don't have it naturally, uh, a pre-existing village, we can work hard to build that village also. So I want to give hope to moms who are feeling isolated, that you absolutely, there are avenues to build that village for you. And, you know, and then the fourth pillar is self-care. Self-care can mean different things to different people. But ultimately, self-care is whatever enhances your uh, mental health and wellness. So like scrolling on a phone for three hours is not necessarily self-care. Yeah, that's um, not it. <laughs> yeah, that's not it. Self-care doesn't always have to even be fun or enjoyable. Self-care sure. could be organizing your closet to make it, you know, make it organized. Mm -hmm. That's organizational self-care and then you feel better. Mm -hmm. Self-care could be, you know, getting on a mat and doing some exercise, even though you're sweating and you might not be having that much fun in the beginning. It may be challenging. So all of that stuff. So self-care can also even be as simple as drinking water or stopping for a minute to just breathe and do like a forward fold. That's also self-care that doesn't take much time or money or resources at all. Um, and Which that, is so important because it, it can feel like, oh, I'm so busy. I don't have time to do anything, but it mm -hmm. it could be a minute. Exactly. It could be a minute. It could be like even like less than a minute. Like mm -hmm. we're breathing all the time anyways. Mm -hmm. Self-care could just be like, I'm going to square off my posture and be really symmetrical. And I'm going to label that as my self-care because by labeling it, it makes me feel competent. It makes me feel confident. It makes me feel in charge. It makes me feel empowered. So part of the self-care, it's not even so much what we're doing. It's more like what story are we telling ourselves about ourselves um, while we're doing self-care? That's a whole thing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I'm so glad you're highlighting that. The story yeah. is a big deal. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So self-care, that's like, that's a big category right there. And then the fifth one, which can go along um, with self-care is using skills. That's the fifth pillar of recovery. And skills can be formal skills like cognitive behavioral skills or DBT skills, yoga-based skills. But really, it's whatever skills work for you. If you have, if you find like five skills that work consistently, then they're going to keep working for you. And it's also going to feel empower, empowering if we can 
some of the skills could already be just keep doing the behavior that you're already doing. Mm -hmm. You can be drinking water and just drinking water, or you could be drinking water and saying, oh, I'm using a self-care skill right now and I'm hydrating. Mm -hmm. You know, we could be saying to ourselves like, oh, it's okay. I'm having a really rough day right now. It's okay. I'm going to get through this. We could have that self-talk. We can also elevate that self-talk by labeling it as a skill of positive self-talk. I'm also using skill now. So again, it's a kind of like how we relate to what we're already doing. Yeah. But it is powerful because it's in some ways, it's the difference between being not mindless, but choosing to be mindful about how we're moving through the day, being making choices intentionally doing yes having intention throughout our day actually makes a difference yes it totally makes a huge difference powering that is and it can also teach us that if we're really lacking a skill like if we're lacking a skill to calm down our baby um, it's a skill which is something that can be learned it doesn't have to just be intuitive and that's also and that's also uh empowering to know um and then the sixth pillar of recovery is spirituality so I look at spirituality very broadly. It's whatever makes you feel connected to yourself and the larger universe, the larger world around you. So spirituality could look like, you know, I'm taking care of this baby and it's so it's so challenging to take care of this baby. And why am I even doing this? Is there a larger purpose mm. to be doing? What meaning am I getting from this? What meaning am I contributing from this? So that's spiritual. Spirituality could be connecting with nature. It could be, you know, practicing gratitude. It could be practicing, you know, the self-reflection and intentionality. All of that is spiritual. So I look at it very broadly, but that's another very huge pillar of recovery. And really just kind of trusting that, you know, that you have the skills to, you have the ability to manage life and that things will eventually fall into place. Things will be okay. Right. So that may or may not include any religious beliefs. Exactly. It's kind of like, it's a broader spirituality. So it can be connected to a religious belief system, but Mm -hmm. it's kind of beyond that. It doesn't have to be. Mm -hmm. I know some very spiritual people who are total atheists. So Oh, sure. Right. Spirituality and religion, it, it can overlap, but it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, that is a whole other set of uh, practical tools. And we've gone over some signs that might be missed, also ways in which you can impact your own healing and recovery. And very specifically for you, I know that yoga is a big part of what you do and how you support people. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, Absolutely. I think yoga has such a huge place in healing and recovery. Um, yoga is medicine. And it doesn't mean it has to be the only medicine. So if somebody is also taking other medicine, that yoga doesn't have to be a replacement for that. But yoga right. is a medicine in its own right. So I just mm-hmm. want to clarify that. Mm-hmm. But what does yoga really mean? People have a lot of misconceptions about yoga being doing downward dogs on a mat. But yoga is so much bigger and broader than that. Yoga really means union, union between the body, union between the mind, and really union between all parts of the self. So when the parts of the self are in misalignment, then we get symptomatic, we have internal battles and wars and life becomes difficult. When parts of ourself are in alignment, then life it just becomes easier so yoga it's also it's not about twisting into pretzels or doing you know like scorpion handstands <laughs> that's acrobatics yoga is really about connecting to yourself and connecting to your body and mind it's not even about the body it's about using the body to connect to the mind mm. so we do that through movement through breathing through concentration and gaze those are like the epicenters of yoga. And what and what really matters is what do you learn about yourself in the process? So much of life can be reflected when we're doing yoga on the mat. So let's say if we're trying to do like, you know, like camel pose or something, which is a challenging, it's a challenging pose. It's a deep back bend. And maybe we can't like reach our heels with our hands. So how do we really relate to ourselves in that situation? 
what do we tell ourselves? How do we handle the frustration? Do we treat us? How do we treat ourselves with compassion? Do we keep pushing ourselves or do we stop? How do we listen to our body? So all of these questions, they come up with yoga. Yoga opens up feelings and it opens up so many emotions that can be worked through during the yoga process. Sometimes in sometimes in my yoga classes, especially in like the slower yoga classes, like yin, you'll just see people will like automatically start crying and they don't even know why they're crying, but something in the body gets activated mm. and some kind of emotions they get released. And it and the body kind of does its own healing and repair work. The person might not even know what emotion it is or or why it's happening or what trauma it may be connected to, but something gets resolved and then they feel better. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're aiming more of a, we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. What I think is really important about this point in particular is that like healing doesn't have to be fully conscious, meaning it doesn't have to be something you can think about and know. It can just be something you experience. And I think in some ways, I think that's where like Western cultural approaches Mm -hmm. really miss the mark is that you Mm -hmm. don't have to have full awareness in order to get better and to heal. Yeah. It's just not the... Because it's like not tangible in the way that people want to like know for sure that this is a thing and it's connected to that thing. Mm-hmm. It can feel a little harder to understand. Mm-hmm. But what yeah. you're describing right now, I think really takes the pressure off of people. They, they don't have to like understand it on some fundamental level. You can just experience right. it. Yeah, you're right on about that. And, you know, I think we have this model of treatment in the West of like you sit in a room with a therapist and you talk about your problems and that's going to make you feel better. But uh, and we're therapists. We like we also believe that. (laughs) Yes, this is what we do. Right. (laughs) It still does help, but it's not everything. it It does help. But my point here is that the healing really happens on an unconscious body somatic level Mm. so yes we can talk about stuff but even in therapy when we're talking about things on just and we're staying at the cognitive level we're talking about a problem but not really experiencing the the emotions associated with it or experiencing how it affects us how it you know percolates in our body then we might be missing the mark a little bit because the real healing the deeper healing, it happens on a nonverbal level. So the beauty of therapy is that we can bridge the nonverbal with the verbal. Yeah. And 
and give it give the nonverbal some meaning and some understanding. That's mm-hmm. that's really beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, but like you said, the actual healing and the release of trauma can happen on a physical cellular level and mm-hmm. we might not have any idea what it's about or insight into it. And that's sure. okay too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean I personally think the more rounded your your healing can be, the better overall for you long term. And certainly, you know, as therapists we know that like having the insight and making the connections and understanding mm-hmm. the patterns, like there is absolutely a place for that. But for a lot of people who experience, you know, this, the feeling of like, well, I've talked about this thing for years and, you know, Mm -hmm. there's no, it doesn't feel like there's any movement. Um, Mm -hmm. There are other avenues. Yes, absolutely. Which is why taking this kind of integrative holistic approach is such a, it's such a powerful way to go. We can approach healing from physical perspective. We can approach it also, you know, like bridge it to the cognitive analytical brain and give it meaning. We can approach it from, you know, from, from other perspectives as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So thanks for going on that bird walk for everything. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. For sure. So yeah, thanks for going with me on that little bird walk and please do continue. Okay. Yeah. There's different parts of yoga also that can be helpful in their own ways. There's yoga on the mat. There's yoga off the mat. There's yoga philosophy, which can be incredibly helpful as a complement to, to like CBT. One thing that I want to emphasize from, you know, from this repository of yoga knowledge that we have is the practice of yoga nidra. And I think this practice is especially relevant to new moms who may be struggling with sleep and sleep deprivation. Yoga nidra is a very powerful practice where you're basically just laying down on a on flat on your back and you're listening to a guided audio and your only job is to try to stay awake um, and and that's it and you just listen so meditation is hard for a lot of people a lot of people struggle with meditation and and Mm -hmm. beat themselves up for not being able to focus that is true yoga nidra is a really good alternative to that because in yoga nidra you actually don't need to focus all you need to do is try to stay awake and that's it. And if you fall asleep, then worst case scenario, you get a really good nap. Which <laughs> right. If you fall asleep, it means you're tired and you probably need it. Right. However, if you stay awake during yoga nidra, then what you're doing is you're facilitating conscious sleep. And conscious sleep actually yields immense benefits. It gives you the restoration. So 30 to 60 minutes of conscious sleep during yoga nidra gives you the restoration equivalent to two to four hours of regular sleep. Hmm. Um, Now, that's not to say it's not a replacement for sleep. So, you know, don't think that you can just do, you know, get by without sleep and just coast along on yoga nidra. (laughs) (laughs) However, if you're already sleep deprived, yoga nidra can be a really good practice. It also helps to balance the hormones. It helps at postpartum. This is important. It helps to balance the metabolism. Um, it can help with cognition. It can help with mental clarity, creativity. It can help with building self-compassion and really working. It goes very deep into the unconscious, activating the deeper, like the delta, the theta and delta waves, which are for, which are activated during deeper sleep states. So a lot of stuff can get resolved. A lot of internal conflicts and unresolved emotions can get resolved through the yoga nidra practice, kind of on a semi-conscious level. And it's very cool because while doing yoga nidra, your body and mind are so relaxed and safe that these things, which could be overwhelming to talk about in therapy, um, can be resolved in a very safe kind of way that doesn't feel overwhelming. Mm. And then after the yoga nidra, then, you know, then we could, you, if, if those things are relevant to talk about and you remember them, then it could be helpful to bridge it and bring it into therapy or process it or journal about it, talk about it and integrate it more. Um, but this is a, a very powerful practice that I, um, that I recommend to do. So for people who are interested in what mm-hmm. you're describing, um, is this something they can just do at home? Is this, yeah. do they have to be in a studio? 
yeah, this is actually something to do alone at home. You want to have like as little, you really want to have no disruptions. So you want to have a quiet, protected space, which I understand with babies, it can be a little bit hard to, to arrange that. But if you're able to carve out even like 10 to 15 minutes of yoga nidra for beginners can, can be very helpful. And then, you know, over time, you can work your way up to longer yoga nidras, which are going to be just deeper and, and do more for you. So this is absolutely something that you can practice at home. The only thing that you need is a place to lay down and yourself and just then to turn on the audio. That's it. Where do you send people to find this? So for Yoga Nidra, I actually have some recordings on, on a podcast called Shalom Yoga. And so there's some recordings on there. There's other podcasts and YouTube channels that feature different yoga nidras by different people. So I will invite you to explore, you know, explore yoga nidra and find a voice that really resonates for you, a voice that, you know, you feel really like touches your heart when you listen to it words that touch your heart so I invite you to experiment and you know find your yoga nidra person uh, and just listen to their stuff and you can actually listen to you can switch it up but you can also listen to the same yoga nidra recording over and over and that's actually that repetition there's something very regulatory about it Mm. there's something really safe about the predictability of it it also helps to kind of train the brain through this dynamic repetition and there's a lot of power in in just repeating the same audio over and over again as well but if you get bored of the same thing it's okay to switch it up too sure but I mean what I love about all of what you're saying is this really usable practical it's at your fingertips right now you you could turn us off and go do that (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it's free. <laughs> and it's free. Right. Yeah. Which I think is yeah. hard to find. It is one of the barriers to um, to healing that I find is that, that people think it's going to take a lot of money. And certainly there are routes where you can spend loads and loads of money, but there's yeah. so much now available for free. Yes. Absolutely. People who are highly skilled and really care, people who really care are putting this out into the world to for people to have access to healing. That in and of mm-hmm. itself is just so amazing and so powerful. So, I mean, I appreciate you sharing this in particular with us because sleep is such a big challenge and time uh, yes. is such a big challenge. So this like takes care of, of that fairly easily. Yeah, exactly. There's really like no downsides to this and so, and it's so easy and accessible. And there's just so many, so much to be gained from this practice. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel good about sharing it with as many moms as possible, because I, I've been there being sleep deprived with a colicky baby and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and just being so irritable the next day, like I've, I've been there and, um, and I know how much this practice helps. Well, and this is so useful and I think really impactful. I hope that people who are listening can can really hear what you're saying and take this and use this um, right away if they need to and and want to. And unfortunately for us, we won't be able to get back to the psychedelic assisted therapy stuff today, but sounds like there's another episode that <laughs> I need to <laughs> to make happen. So thank you for that. But for now, yeah, can you just I guess, close us up with what you've, either for yourself or from the people you've supported, what your takeaways are for people who are listening. Yeah, I just want to give hope to the listeners. You know, you are capable, you're competent, you already are skillful, and there's so many different paths to healing. Sometimes, you know, us moms, we can have so many strengths and we can get a little lost in the drudgery of motherhood, Mm -hmm. Um, but we can also find our way back to ourselves. And there's so many paths to uh, back to ourselves, and they can be very simple and small, like even, you know, like centering your posture and doing a few forward folds at home if you're irritable or feeling stressed with your kid that's totally that's healing happening in small bite-sized little bricks little moments Mm -hmm. so I just want to empower you and encourage you and hope that you find your path back to yourself to healing and 
really live the best life that you're made to live. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you for coming on and sharing your story and your knowledge with us today. Thank you so much, Kat. It's been such a pleasure. It's been so fun. If you'd like to get connected with Ruthie, you can go to mentalfitnesstherapy.org. And also she referenced a yoga podcast that she was working on and it is now called Nala Yoga and it can be found on Podbean, Amazon Music, Podchaser, and Google. The web link is nalayoga at podbean.com. If you know of anyone who could benefit from hearing her story or the work that she's doing, please forward this episode on to them. I can't begin to tell you how much feedback I get from listeners and from people who've gone through perinatal mental health experiences that need to hear these stories and need to know of the resources. It is really the number one way we can spread this information and education, as well as reduce stigma for people who are out there because story is so powerful. If you haven't yet, you can connect with me on Instagram or my website, wellmindperinatal.com, where you can also find a listing of the courses I offer and the podcast episodes. Thanks for being with us. Please find the Mom and Mind podcast on momandmind.com or wellmindperinatal.com, where you can also find access to my free online mini course that is specifically designed for people experiencing anxiety in the postpartum period. Or you can learn more about the three and a half hour self-paced course that I created just for managing postpartum stress. You can also connect with us on social media at Mom and Mind on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you for tuning in and learning more about perinatal mental health. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts.